0: This is your Calls Media Roundtable. I'm Rose Aguilar. Senate Republicans voted down the bipartisan $118 billion immigration and foreign aid bill, which includes $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, and $1.9 billion in weapons for Taiwan. So what about the immigration and border provisions? Well, today's guest, Mother Jones reporter Isabella Diaz, writes, in 2020, Joe Biden campaigned on the idea that Trump era immigration policies amounted to a moral failure and a national shame. Now he's backing a border deal that is so aligned with conservative goals that it causes glee from senators like John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, who gushed, quote, we would never get these measures in a Republican Senate, even with a Republican president, end quote. Under electoral pressure, And with unprecedented numbers of migrants arriving in the Southwest, Biden has made a radical U-turn. He's recently vowed to close the border and now endorsed what would be the most restrictive overhaul of the immigration system in decades. Immigration advocates call the concessions in the bill unconscionable. Isabella Diaz is a reporter with Mother Jones covering politics and immigration. She's written for many publications, including Slate, The Washington Post, and The Nation. Hi, Isabella. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rose. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So to first talk about how we got here, this bill was negotiated behind closed doors by Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, Democrat-turned-independent Senator Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, and Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. So they all worked behind closed doors, and then they finalized it with the White House. Is that how we got to this place? That's
1: right. So these negotiations went on for months, and it um, involved the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, and, you know, discussions with with the White House. And more recently, uh, President Biden did, you know, come out in support and endorse the bill saying that it would be, um, you know, the most fair and strict border security measure in, in recent years.
0: So to talk about some of the key provisions in this bill, as you write, in one of the most significant proposals, President Biden would have the option to shut down the border if average daily crossings surpassed 4,000 in a week. What does that mean exactly to shut down the border?
1: Right. So I think, you know, a lot has been talked about the specifics of this proposed Bill, and it has been, you know, weaponized a little on, on both sides. And I, w- I would just, you know, kind of say that it, from what I've been reading and hearing from immigration experts, the consensus was a little bit that this was a mixed bag. So there were like a lot of bad provisions, but also some good provisions in it. But as you mentioned, the, the centerpiece of this proposed bill was the creation of this new emergency border authority that would allow the Department of Homeland Security to basically quickly expel migrants coming in um, between ports of entry at times of higher border encounters. So, um, you know, the specific numbers is this, this authority would be mandatorily triggered when this daily average border encounters reached 5,000 in the, the span of a week or 8,500 8, in a single day. And then it would be, you know, up to the president's discretion when that number was slower than that, it was um, up to 4,000. And what that would mean essentially is that similar to the authority that was being used um, during the pandemic, the Title 42 policy, you know, DHS border officials would have the authority to summarily expel migrants without giving them their due process.
0: Right. So you you report that if enacted, this law would create a new expulsion authority to allow the department of homeland security for a limited period of time to suspend access to asylum outside of ports of entry when migrant encounters reach an average of 4000 a day in a week
1: that's right and you know what what i've heard from you know immigration experts and, and advocates is that this provision would actually just um, contribute to more chaos at the border and, and not really do anything really significant in terms of acting as a, as a deterrence mechanism, um, you know, this is kind of getting a little bit into the weeds, but like when, when this authority would be triggered, you know, the Department of Homeland Security doesn't have to make it public when that is happening. So it would create kind of an unknown space where potential, you know, asylum seekers wouldn't know whether this was the rule that was applying at a moment when they were to get to the border. And it really is uh, kind of an extreme restrictive measure.
0: So can you explain to us, and and just for some context, in December, more than 300,000 people crossed the southern border. So it's important for that context when you hear, you know, daily crossing surpassing 4,000 in a week. So that's 28,000 people in a week. Can you tell us what is the process today And then what would be the major changes if this bill were to pass?
1: Right. So, you know, I think it's important to recognize that there is an unprecedented number of migrants arriving um, at the U.S.-Mexico border. And that is, you know, in large part due to circumstances that are outside of the control of any presidential administration. So we are talking about, you know, a once in like a generation um, global migration era um with multiple compoundant crises in different countries um, so i think that's you know kind of important to keep into perspective and um one one thing that i you know forgot to mention about this um emergency border expulsion authority is because you know the influx of migrants arriving at the border already it has been um you know extremely high this um expulsion authority would know essentially be triggered almost continuously based on the current levels um you know a number number of daily encounters which you know then of course poses a lot of questions about um how much um of you know that you're shutting the the door on on potentially many eligible asylum seekers and um what what currently is the process you know it's um A lot of Republicans like to say, talk about the catch and release policy and that, you know, Democrats in the Biden administration are just letting migrants into the country left and right. And it's a little bit more complicated and nuanced than that, as with everything around immigration. Um, And, you know, U.S. laws currently um, provide that asylum seekers who are Come to the border or are in the United States, they have to, the right to seek protection. Um, and you know, an asylum seeker might come to the border and approach a border patrol, express that they have a fear of prosecution. And you know, usually, generally speaking, people would be um, led into the country with a notice to appear in an immigration court at a later time. And you know, part of the problem here is that. That could mean years because of there's an insane, you know, immigration um, courts backlog. So it could take several years for someone to actually have their process go through the courts. And so that kind of also explains a little bit of the catch and release rhetoric coming from the right, primarily.
0: What are you hearing from advocates about President Biden signing on to this deal? The media coverage has a lot to do with this. As you point out, you write, as the perception of the issue of immigration as a political liability became more ingrained, partially as a result of media coverage, the Biden administration appeared to change. Biden began urging migrants not to come to the border. The administration decided to continue to summarily expel migrants through an expanded Trump-era Title 42 and rolled out policies evocative of the Trump days that made it harder to qualify for asylum. So what are you hearing from advocates about Biden's policies?
1: You know, I think even though, and as part of what I wrote in my piece for Mother Jones, even though this border bipartisan border deal is now officially that i think it is very telling you know how biden has taken a a stance supporting this which would be the most you know restrictive overhaul of asylum and the immigration system in decades um in the way that also democrats have been willing to compromise on you know an issue that is admittedly very challenging but on which traditionally they have always pushed for whenever there was a you know legislation pushing for border enforcement it would also come with a trade off uh in you know some sort of like push for legalization of the undocumented undocumented immigrants living in the united states and this deal didn't have any of that which was a big point you know of concern for for immigrants um and em- immigrant advocates um and i think you know in in light of Biden's rhetoric as a candidate and you know some of the very pro-immigrant policies that he did indeed adopt early on in his administration I think there is a sense of you know from some of his allies former aides and definitely immigrant rights advocates a, a sense of disappointment and a sense of betrayal of his campaign promises but I think also a missed opportunity to sort of project and put forward positive vision for immigration in this country.
0: What precedent do you think this sets now that Biden has endorsed this bill?
1: You know, I think um, what is kind of striking to me is it, it again, it also tells a lot about how the conversation around immigration, you know, legal or illegal, has moved so much to the right and to a strictly, you know, restrictive perspective You know, it's obviously going to be a very salient, it already is issue um, on the campaign trail this year. Biden is, you know, vowing to use the Republicans' opposition to this bipartisan border deal as an issue moving forward and kind of like trying to show that Trump and Republicans are not interested in in fixing the border. And I think all of this kind of like just has, you know, shifted the conversation considerably and, and has kind of move the ball, you know, the goalpost for what is actually like a compromise on immigration when you, when you leave, you know, any sort of pathway, you know, for citizenship and, and permanent residency for millions of immigrants, uh, including the DREAMers, the DACA recipients. I think it, it says a lot about where we are on this issue.
0: And we should say four Democratic senators voted against this. Alex Padilla, Bob Menendez, Ed Markey, and Elizabeth Warren, and then independent Senator Bernie Sanders also voted against it. Today, we are speaking with Isabella Diaz, a reporter at Mother Jones covering politics and immigration. And we're talking about the immigration bill uh, that was voted down by Republicans um, and some Democrats. Now, why did Senate Republicans vote this down? Well, Donald Trump wants to continue the Republican Party's racist rants on immigration and immigrants. And it's really important for context to remember that Trump began his 2016 campaign. And sorry to say this, but by calling Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals, he's now going further by saying immigrants are destroying the blood of the country. So what are your thoughts on how major media are covering Trump and what is so obvious? He wants this issue to stay alive through 2024, because based on so much reporting, his base really, they're they are obsessed with this issue. I mean, it's all over Fox, it's all over right wing radio. Obviously, a lot of people are concerned about it. But the way it's framed on those channels is is very racist. It's not about finding solutions, or the fact that these are human beings.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like you said, I think it's it, it, there's nothing surprising about the fact that that Trump is running on you know, this nativist platform that was his campaign, you know, back in 2016. And I think it's important for us as reporters to kind of push the coverage towards showing how much more radical his vision is for, you know, a potential second term. And, you know, there has been a a lot of important reporting by the New York Times, for example, where they were able to sort of break down how Stephen Miller, who is, you know, the main Trump campaign immigration advisor and and an anti-immigration hardliner, their vision, you know, for having essentially mass deportations and mass detention camps um, and doing away with birthright citizenship. And, you know, just, I think it's really important to just reiterate how this, Maybe a lot of it is kind of the political rhetoric of the campaign, but I don't think we should minimize how um, potentially you know the harmful the policy proposals that are coming from the Trump campaign. And we know what he did, you know, in his during his first term. And and part of Biden's challenge, I guess, um, when he came into office, was there was so much kind of uh, you know wreckage to to be. Done away with, and, and 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 to restore a resemblance of a, a normal system, that itself would have been, you
0: know, worth a, an entire term of of work. And it's so important to remember child separation. It's it's wild to me that it's that's hardly talked about today. It is so important to go back to those policies to think that the government didn't even keep records of these separations, and parents had no idea if their kids were even alive. And so to think that Trump is going to take this even further, uh, what, what, what does that mean? I guess in our remaining minutes, Isabella, we've got nine months of 24-7 election coverage and Trump and many Republicans want immigration to be a major, major issue. How do you think the media should deal with this, given what we've already learned from what they've done and what their plans are?
1: I think it's really critical that the media emphasizes how potentially harmful um, a second Trump presidency would be for, you know, immigrants, of course, but also it would potentially impact U.S. citizens as well. You know, uh, Trump and Stephen Miller are promising mass raids. and, and, And we have seen before that those raids are often kind of indiscriminate and um, might impact even U.S. citizens and certainly families where, you know, there are mixed status members. So I think, you know, it's our job to, you know, as much as we might not want to hear about it, because it is honestly scary. But I think it is important to hammer on like how out there these policy proposals are coming from the trump campaign but also how in his first four years in office he created an infrastructure to be able to implement some of these radical ideas and you know another aspect of this is now the courts are you know somewhat less equipped to um you know block some of these uh, potentially unlawful policies because you know not only has trump put a lot of judges into the courts, but also there has been you know, a Supreme Court decision basically limiting how federal courts could block immigration enforcement policy. So we cannot minimize what's at stake here.
0: And, and of course, it's important to acknowledge that many cities are having a very hard time with all of this. I mean, to think that Republicans in Texas and Florida are putting human beings on buses and sending them to places like Chicago, New York, Denver, and these places in many cases didn't even know they were coming. So they're struggling with all of this and that's legitimate. But, you know, how do you, as a reporter, write about this in a humane way rather than a political issue that has so many racist undertones? I think that's also really important to discuss.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, it's migrants are being, you know, used as political pawns and and being scapegoated by people like Greg Abbott. And I think it's really important that we first go out and, and meet the migrants and listen to the migrants. Uh, when, you know, when they were first being bused here to Washington, DC, where I'm based, mm-hmm. I went to a church and met dozens and dozens of families, you know, many of them from Venezuela, but literally from all over the place, many children and you know kind of try to understand what is making them come here and you know kind of what they go through once they are here you know there is a whole period of when these asylum seekers and migrants are in limbo where they cannot work um so i think it's important you know moving forward that we we kind of keep these people in in mind and um understand what their what their needs are and and like you said they are Um, you know, being used in this political games.
0: And and we should point out that we're talking about people from, of course, Central America, South America, but also Africa. This isn't getting that much attention, but CBS reports that last year, 37,000 Chinese citizens were apprehended as they crossed the border. That is 50 times more than two years earlier. So like you said, people are coming from all over the world.
1: You know that's like I think the part of you know this that gets lost, and you know it's something that the DHS secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who survived an impeachment um, effort just yesterday, he will repeat this to exhaustion. It's like the migrant, you know, quote unquote migrant crisis is not a unique challenge to the, the United States. It is a whole, you know, the whole hemisphere and the whole globe. Um, the patterns of this global migration era are entirely new and they pose a total new set of challenges to any administration. And it's something that, um, you know, the Biden administration is is confronting now
0: and, and any administration moving forward will have to. Well, Isabella, your reporting is, is so important. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Isabella Diaz is a reporter with Mother Jones covering politics and immigration. You can find her pieces at yourcallradio.org. And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.